And so uh, it was good. So this morning, though, we are concluding our 12-part series on the book of Matthew. And uh, Wendy spoke last week on our 10th birthday, and that was so much fun. She talked about how Jesus stopped, and he noticed the needs of others. And uh, boy, it was a very powerful message, and, and I loved it. But today, I want to talk, I want to wrap up the whole series by talking about the greatest commandment, right? The greatest commandment. We, we, we Americans don't like the word commandment. We really don't, because we never want to be told what to do, right? But you know what? Believe it or not, Jesus told people what to do. Uh, you know, I mean, all through Scripture, God's telling us how to live. We're all like, don't tell me how to live. Well, that's what the Bible does. Uh, sorry. So, uh, but I'm, I'm sure that most of you guys are familiar with Jesus' words to love God and love others, right? I mean, that's huge. It's the greatest commandment. And, and I'll be honest, I, I often get confused about what love is, right? What is love? Right? I get confused about what love is. And uh, most of the time, I associate love with fond feelings, maybe passion or zeal. And I remember many years ago, I don't know, Ian might remember this, we brought a cat home. <laughs> we brought a cat home, and uh, we named him Franklin little cat and he was cute and he was cuddly and all the things that kittens are right he was cute and I was just like you know I love this cat I love little Franklin I'll stroke his nose and hear him purr and all those things and after about a month or two after Franklin had sufficiently scratched up the corner of our brand new couch um, and been just a nasty little I hated that cat I just <laughs> hated that cat um, and mysteriously, Franklin disappeared uh, a few days later. We gave him away. We gave him to a good home, much better home than ours, much more loving home than me. So, uh, but, the, you know, we tend to associate love with these feelings, and, and we think that if the feelings are there, then that's love. And I don't know, maybe you've been there before where you're like, I love my new job. And then six months later, it's like, I got to get out of there. I got to get out of there. My, my, I've, people have heard, said things like, my soul is being crushed there. My soul is being crushed. It was like, wait, six months ago you loved it. You absolutely loved it, right? Or, uh, you know, maybe you even fell in love, fell in love with somebody. But then when there are little idiosyncrasies stomped all over your boundaries, isn't that the way it goes, right? We fall in love, and all of our little things, all of our idiosyncrasies, all of those little sensitive spots all those on us, uh, all of our boundaries become the places where that person inadvertently stomps all the time. And it's, it's, it's like they know what they're doing, you know? Um, and those fuzzy feelings will sort of drift away, you know? We fall out of love, and we mistake what love is. In, in our passage, though, Jesus, what he does is he, he drops this incredible bomb, right, in just three sentences. He knew exactly who he was talking to. He knew exactly how to speak their language. He knew they would get it. And he knew that just like us, they really needed to hear it. And, uh, and I love this, some of my favorite words of Jesus. And we're going to unpack this a little bit as we wrap up our Matthew series. But real quick, let's pray. God, we love you so much. 
We love you, truly love you. Not just warm, fuzzy feelings love you, God. We love you. And God, I pray that your word would um, go deep in us, would uh, take root in us, would bring transformation to us. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off taking a look at Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus is teaching, and these religious leaders of the day come up to him. These Pharisees and Sadducees, right? They come up to him, and they basically had been sort of like stalking Jesus for a while. They've been following around, listening to him speak, and kind of on the fringes. And you know, it's funny, we, we have people kind of like that now, right? Because they, what they did is they, they kind of, what they would do is hang out in the back of the crowd and take notes and go, oh, I don't know, man, that doesn't agree with scripture. You know, we have people in church like that now. You know, they, they listen to the preacher and they go, well, I don't know about that. That doesn't line up with that, you know. And they're, they're, critis, they're criti you know, critical of the words, you know. And so that's nothing new. So when you see that in church now, you see kind of, you know, the modern day Pharisee doing that. It's been around for you know, thousands of years, thousands of years. And so the Pharisees were sort of that, like, you know, the, the uh, ancient Israel version of that. And so they decide, they get this audience, they finally, they have this chance to sort of sit around and talk to Jesus, and they decide to start playing stump Jesus, right? Well, let's see if he knows about that. I mean, that's basically what they're doing, right? They're kind of thinking, we're stump Jesus. Let's see if we can make him look like an idiot here in front of everybody. And uh, they were trying to trick him basically into saying something that they could, like, pounce on him for. Uh-huh. See? Huh? Let's arrest him, because they had that power then. And there were these two groups that were in on the act. There were two groups. One was called the Sadducees and the Pharisees, okay? Because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, which is sad, you see. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Groaner foul, right? And uh, so they asked him questions. They were asking him about marriage. They were asking him about the resurrection. They were asking him about taxes. They were just, you know, trying to stump him, trying to make him look bad. And then in another attempt to get Jesus to say something they can use against him, you won't believe what happened next, <laughs> okay? This happened. And so it says in verses 34 through 40, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, which is Sadducee, uh, with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest, most important commandment in the law of Moses? Okay? First of all, the question is completely flawed. What is the first and most important commandment? Because he's asking him to place in priority over all the rest. Uh, and so, so, but when the Pharisees heard, okay, what's the most important uh, question? Okay. <laughs> See, they're trying to pull one of these things where it's like, so you're saying the other laws aren't important. You kind of get what's happening here? What's the most important law? Oh, so those other ones aren't important. I get it. And uh, they're trying to get him in one of those. It sounds almost like an interview you might see on the news today, right? Have you, have you ever seen that one interview? And I won't say who, who it's between. But the interviewer kept going, oh, so you're saying that women are less than men. 
It didn't matter what the interviewee was saying, the interviewer was going, oh, so what you're saying is... And so it was kind of one of these situations, trying to put Jesus in a no-win. But Jesus isn't just like some preacher trying to flex, right? Like, they didn't know who they were dealing with. And uh, he is the Son of God. And his answer is so incredibly brilliant. He says, Jesus replied, you must love, what is that word love? If you've got it in your Bible, just underline the word love. You must love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. One of the reasons why this answer is so brilliant, first of all, he's saying it's all about God, it's all about loving him. The other thing that's so important to understand here is Jesus is actually quoting Levitical law. Jesus is actually quoting scripture here. So he's not just philosophizing. They, they, they couldn't get him on that. He made that up. He's actually quoting scripture here. And then he says, a second is equally important. So if you've got your Bible out, go ahead and underline the word equally. The word's equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. So he's totally seeing right into the Pharisees' hearts as he's saying these things. Love God with all you got and love your neighbor as yourself. He knew they weren't, they weren't asking him these questions in love, <laughs> right? He knew that. Then he says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. Ooh, you guys, you could spend so much time just reading this over and over again. You could spend so much time in this. But if you remember one thing this morning, I tell you, I've got, I've got the best most, the deepest main point this morning, it's this. Love rules, religion drools. It's, that's deep. That's deep, you guys. Love rules, religion drools. We used to say that, like when I was a kid, we used to say that about boys and girls. The boys used to always go, boys rule, girls drool, you know, and that's kind of was our thing. And of course the girls were like, nuh-uh, girls rule, boys drool. And, but, you know, we, we often confuse love and religion, or we confuse religion and love, right? This passage is such an amazing reminder that in the end, it's not about being the most knowledgeable. It's not about, you know, degrees. It's not about, you know, how much scripture you have memorized. It's not about those things. It's not about being the most holy. It's not about being the most put together. It's about being the most loving towards God and others. That's what it's all about. And if it's anything other than that, you're missing the point. You're absolutely missing the point. And, you know, we, we've all known people who are very religious, who know the word of God so well. I know people that, that know scripture so well that I'm like, I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish I had that kind of knowledge. But they couldn't love their way out of a paper bag. That, wherever they go, everybody feels condemned. <laughs> because they use the word of God like a hammer, right? Instead of as an expression of love. Instead of as a, as a way of knowing and learning how to be more loving. Okay? And so, uh, love rules, man. And I think as human beings, we have this tendency to want to be perceived as someone who, uh, we, we don't want to be perceived as someone 
who didn't make much of their lives. This will make sense in a minute. But that's just, as human beings, right, especially as Americans, we, don't, we have this thing, we have this standard that we set as Americans of success, of, uh, of wealth, of prestige, and none of us want to be perceived as someone who didn't want to make much of our lives. I, I remember talking once to a guy um, who worked for Amazon, and he told me, I basically run the shipping department. I basically run the shipping department for Amazon. And about an hour later, I found out that he just works part-time on the shipping dock, <laughs> you know. But he just kind of wa wanted to be perceived as someone in a higher station than, than he was. We like that, right? And, uh, and we do that in the church because I, what I hear a lot of time in the church is, um, you know, I, I meet people who transition to another church every couple of years, sometimes less. You know? Hang with the church for a year or two, 18 months, and then they transition out. And, um, and they do that frequently. And when they do, they say things like, oh, yeah, now I'm going over there and helping the pastor out. Like, they just can't bring themselves to go, I'm just attending there because I was unhappy there. You know, or they can't just bring themselves to say, oh, now I'm going over there and I'm serving on a team. I changed churches again, and I'm over there serving on a team. Instead of, yeah, I decided to go over there to help Pastor So-and-so out. What? So you're telling me that Pastor So-and-so, whom I happen to know, called you up and said, I really need your help. Well, no, it didn't go down that way. Okay. So you just want me to perceive something of you that isn't true. You're trying to elevate yourself in a way that, you, you know, and we do that. We do that in churches. We do that everywhere. I mean, none of us want to be perceived as someone who's like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just working. There's nothing special about me. We all want to be special, right? All of us want to be special. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my psychologist, and he said, everybody wants to be special. Nobody wants to be normal. Nobody, nobody just wants to be, you know, the average guy. Right? And, uh, but that's just not the way life works. Okay? And, uh, or some people, they go into massive amounts of debt to appear as if they have a lot of money and that they've reached a certain amount of, uh, of success, but they go into so much debt to do it. I remember one guy, he worked for Merrill Lynch. He, he worked, you know, as a financial advisor, and he was actually told by his higher ups look, I know you're going to have to go in a lot of debt to do this, but we want you to live in a nicer house. We want you to drive a nicer car because that will look better and attract higher-end clients. And he talked about the pressure that he lived under to live beyond his means to appear that he uh, had a higher level of wealth than he actually did. And the, the Pharisees were kind of like the religious version of this. And, and they, they dressed in ways that let everybody know how holy they were. In fact, in, in, when, when they went to public meetings, and Scripture tells us they prayed the loudest. They were putting on this appearance. It was all about putting on appearances. They prayed the loudest. They were incredibly judgmental, extremely judgmental. They actually, they, they, they had these boxes. They were called phylacteries, these little boxes. And what they would do is they, the boxes, they would stuff with Scriptures that they had memorized. I memorized this one. It was on like a long scroll, and they'd stuff it in this box, and uh, Jesus talks about how some of the Pharisees, what they would do is they would intentionally wear bigger boxes 
to appear so holy and so righteous that they had it all. And so uh, it, was, it was like the spiritual one-upsmanship. It was a spiritual flexing, if I can use that term, young people, right? My son says that. Hawson says that. Oh, look at this guy. He's got a new flexing. He's, he's flexible. What, what does that mean? You know? I always just imagine somebody like, you know, he's flexing. But they were, you know, the, 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 the Pharisees were always flexing. But the, Jesus' message, Jesus' message time and time again was that outward appearances, right? Outward appearances, this religion, outward appearances, it's, it's shallow. And, and not only is it shallow, but it's burdensome. It's heavy laden to try to keep up those, those appearances. It's burdensome. But truly following Jesus was all about loving God, loving others. Love rules. Religion rules. Right? So what does that look like? Because... Again, I don't want to get confused and say, well, loving is this fuzzy feeling. I have this fuzzy feeling towards God. Because, like I said, Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy. So what does actually loving God and loving others look like? Well, the first thing is, is that loving God means commitment to him above all else. It's just He's saying this. You're loving God. It means you have a commitment to God that supersedes all other commitments. You know, and when Jesus said to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. He was quoting Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Moses was calling, in that chapter, Moses was calling the Israelites and saying, commit. Just commit. Choose today who you're going to serve. Get off the fence. Commit. Commit to God. And let your commitment to him supersede your commitment to everything else. Whether it seems rational, whether it seems realistic or not. He's just saying commit to God above all else. And commit to his ways. This is what Jesus was quoting. Uh, a few weeks ago, Wendy and I celebrated 29 years of marriage together. Yes. It was pretty awesome. Uh, 29 years, man. And there's a, there's a lot of things that I could say about how we love each other, right? I could say how we keep a date night sacred every week or how, as a family, we always eat dinner around the table every night. But those things are a reflection of our commitment to each other. We're just committed to each other. Our marriage, the only relationship in my life that I have a higher commitment to than my marriage is my relationship with Jesus, and every other, every other relationship that I have uh, has, is lower in my commitment and my priority than my relationship with my wife. And so uh, it's, it takes commitment. If you're going to reach 29 years, guess what? It's going to take commitment because you see a whole lot of ugly from each other. You see all the things, all the things, right? And, uh, you know, that first morning you wake up together and you realize that, that we each have morning breath, Right? Yeah. That we each use the bathroom, that we each get grumpy, that we, uh, we aren't always like sweet nothings to each other. I mean, all those things, all those things, that we are two incredibly imperfect beings. Uh, but it, 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 it's not warm fuzzies that hold you together for 29 years. It's commitment. It's commitment. And so... Uh, Loving God means commitment to him above all else. And when you're commi truly committed to him in such a way that says, I might doubt. I might doubt. I might make poor decisions now and then, right? 
but I am all in committed to Jesus. And walking away from Jesus is not an option. It doesn't matter how much doubt I have. It doesn't matter if I get mad at God. All those things. Walking away is not an option. And just like in marriage, walking away for us is not an option. Very early on, we just said, hey, let's just take divorce off the table. It's never, it's never going to be an option. I might kill you, but I'm not going to divorce you, right? And so uh, divorce is not an option. And so walking away from the Lord is not an option. It's just not an option. That's a commitment, no matter how much I doubt. And so the next thing is this, is that loving God, and, and if we're looking at Deuteronomy here, loving God means passing that relationship down to our children. That's what that means. If you don't have kids, then pass it down to your neighbor, neighbor kids. You know, if you don't have kids, talk to your nephews and nieces, right? It means passing down that relationship to your children. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says, You must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. So part of loving God means passing it down to our kids. Just to say, you guys, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just brag. I hope I don't embarrass you, Kayla. But Kayla grabbed her kids today, grabbed communion. They went to the back. They prayed together. They took communion together. That was something that I did with my boys until they became adults, until, you know, they moved out, until, you know, Forrest moved out, is we just, we took communion together. We prayed together. We took communion together. And... You know, I love to walk around the lake with my boys, talk, talk about the Lord with them. And so uh, passing our faith down to our children is literally the greatest gift you could ever, ever give them. Ever give them, bar none, okay? And so I think that every parent has the desire to, you know, pass down their favorite things to their kids, don't they? Yeah. Uh, when I was... Uh, I remember sharing Star Wars with my kids for the first time and how excited I was that I got to pass that down. And you guys were watching Lord of the Rings with them, you know, we were over there. And that, that was so exciting when I got to pass down uh, when we, uh, the first one came out, Fellowship of the Ring, and I got to watch that with my kids and share that with them. The things that we love, we love to pass down the things that we love to our kids. My dad wanted to pass down, you know, the love for like camping with me and just being outside. He, he always loved to be outside and do things outside, you know, take a, take a janky old motorboat down a river somewhere, you know, <laughs> that, that wasn't that exciting when the motor broke and we were in the middle of nowhere, but uh, he wanted to pass down camping and things like that to me. That was one of his favorite things. Some parents, they pass down their love for sports. There's a house in our neighborhood. Every time I go by it, the dad's out there tossing the football with his, with his sons. They, 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 they found value in that, and they're passing it down to them. Um, a lot of younger parents want to pass down their love for nerdy things, you know, with their kids. But God says, look, your love and commitment to me includes passing that love down to your children. Passing that love down to your children. Um, there were some parents that kind of warned us and said, you know, I don't know, uh, I don't know if you want to make your kids go to church. You don't want to, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you cram it down their throats, you know, the, they might walk away when they're adults. And we just said, you know what, we'll take our chances. We'll, t 
We'll take our chances. And I love it now that our children are adults and our oldest is even out on our own, he's still here serving, you know. Apparently, we didn't cram it too far down their throats because they love Jesus. Our youngest is out there uh, at a vineyard church, you know, training for leadership, and our middle son is on the worship team. And uh, so, you know, and so, <laughs> if you love Jesus, show your kids what a strong commitment to him looks like, Right? Be the example of what a strong commitment to Jesus looks like to your children. That is so important. Tell them about following Jesus. Fill your house with things that glorify him. Make worship a priority. That's part of commitment, right? If we make worship a priority and, and our children see that, then they'll go, oh, okay, that's part of following Jesus, part of life. And have a prayer and study life that's so important to you that they notice that. And so I've noticed that even with my own kid, my youngest, he won't go to bed without spending a little time in the Word, a little time in prayer every day. And that's because he sees his mom and I do that, you know. And so just have that life of loving Jesus and, and set that example for them. So, uh, and then the third thing is this. Loving God means obeying His Word. It, it just means obeying His Word. You guys love, I, I just love... You know, part of, this, part of this message today and what Jesus says has such beautiful simplicity to it. Like, none of this is super deep. None of this is super deep. It's just Jesus saying, love God and love others. And uh, he's quoting Deuteronomy. And I'm just breaking that down for you. But he's just, loving God means obeying his word. Deuteronomy 6, 2 says, if you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Anybody here want a long life? I know in today's age, maybe some of you would be okay having shortened that a little bit. Somebody told me just that, that the other day. I'm kind of so sick of what's going on in our world. I'd be okay if God shaved 10 years off my life, you know. But he's saying, you know, you will enjoy a long life if you obey his decrees and commands. I find it interesting that uh, sometimes I'll talk to believers who they, they're looking for loopholes and exceptions to God's word, you know. And they're looking for loopholes and they're looking for exceptions. So th and they do that so that they can live as they please, right? And so essentially what they're doing is they're, they're uh, wrapping their faith around their life rather than wrapping their life around their faith. And, there, and there's a big difference. You know, God doesn't call us so that we can wrap the life that we want around our faith. We, he's calling us to, to wrap our faith around, you know, to, to, to obey his word. Because um, if you ask me, if you ask me, going to the Word and looking for loopholes and exceptions so that you can live the way that you want to, it doesn't look like love. You know, that doesn't look like love. If, if I was, you know, if Wendy and I had this agreement, which we do, had this agreement where, you know, we're not going to be alone with somebody of the opposite sex, and I'm like, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what if she's really pretty, you know? If I'm looking for loopholes going, you know, that, didn't, that wouldn't look like love. That wouldn't look like love. And so it's not about trying to wrap our lives, uh, our faith around our lives, it's about trying to wrap our lives around the faith. And so, um, you know, we don't want to live that way. Love cheerfully, you know. Love cheerfully obeys Scripture because love trusts the one who said it. You know, at the end of the day, we have to come along and trust that God knows best. Does he know best or does he not? Right? So love cheerfully obeys Scripture because Love trusts the one who said it. And so to top it off, God says, guess what? There's a blessing for those who obey 
my word. It's a blessing. Yeah, I don't know. Do you guys like blessings? I do. And here's the thing. I believe that God can bless me better than I can bless myself. Right? God, can, God knows. God knows. God can bless me better than I can bless myself. And so lastly, concerning Jesus' second commandment, when we love others, we're loving God. When we love others, we're loving God. Okay? Once again, Jesus, he's quoting Moses. This time he's quoting from Leviticus 19. And he says a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of God's passions, we see it in Scripture, one of God's passions is that we love each other. You love you, and you love you, and I love you, and you love me. That's one of God's passions is that we love each other. You know, there's, there's an old saying that I, I've heard probably, you know, for the last 40 years of my life, and, and people say, Christians are the only ones who shoot their wounded. They'll say, say things like that. Christians are the only ones who shoot their wounded. You know, and a lot of times, we're not known as loving. You know, when we picket funerals, you know, when we gossip about each other, when we nitpick at church leadership, you know, it, it's not, that's not loving. You know, that's not loving. And over and over and over and over, you read the New Testament, you read Paul's, Paul's epistles, you read Paul's letters to the early churches, he's constantly going, love each other, guys. Come on, love each other, love each other. And uh, what I tell you, I've been a Christian for a very long time, 35 years, 35 years plus now. And uh, I have never known a more gossipy, complainy, bitter group of people than believers, <laughs> you know, that's not true. That's not true. I've known more uh, people who were worse than that at uh, different jobs I've worked at <laughs> outside the church. But, you know, but I, I don't, and I don't know what that is. And I don't know, maybe it's familiarity. You know the expression, familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe it's that once you kind of get to know a group of people once in a while and the sheen wears off, right, and the, and the honeymoon is over and you just kind of start to see the flaws in each other, maybe that's it. But... For whatever reason why believers struggle with that, myself included, whatever reason, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's just one of the enemy's favorite attacks. Maybe that's one of the devil's go-to attacks on the church. But God cares about our unity. God wants us to love each other. This is so, so, so important. And over and over and over and over again, Scripture says, love each other, love each other, love each other. And... Uh, you know, I, I remember uh, a friend of mine was telling me recently he was at home and he was having kind of a worship time at home, right? And he was in the shower and he had his favorite worship song playing. And it was just, it was like, it was like a holy moment at home. He had his favorite worship song. Anybody ever have one of those moments? You know, you got like your favorite worship song playing. You're just really, man, you're just lost in it. You're just praising God. You're fighting back the tears. Just having a God moment at home. And, uh, he, he was in the shower, his favorite worship song was playing. He was singing, he was having this God encounter. And then in the middle of it all, he gets this knock on the bathroom door. Duck, duck, duck. You almost done? From his wife, right? <laughs> knock, knock, knock. And, uh, and so, and she's like, can I use the bathroom yet? And you talk about just like a, like a mood breaker. Just a, oh, man, you pulled me out of the holy of holies, right? And he got really irritated. He got really irritated with her. He was like, like, how can you disrupt this holy moment? You know? 
And uh, he just couldn't believe it. He was kind of mad at her and sort of, uh, uh, uh. And, uh, and then he realized something. He realized in that moment that his wife, who's knocking at the door to use the bathroom, bears the image of God. Bears the image of God. And that being kind and loving to her in that moment was just as much of an act of worship as singing that song in the shower. Wow. Think about that for a moment. When God calls us to love each other, right? And we get on each other's nerves. And then the Holy Spirit comes along and goes, yeah, but he's been forgiven much, right? Yeah, but they bear the image of God. Yeah, but, you know, it's just so important that we live in that. I think that if the church learned to love each other better and was better at loving each other and was less critical and less anxious to call out other people and, you know, gossip and complain about this or that or this program or why isn't the church doing this? And I don't understand why they haven't done that and they're, they're off on that. If we were less into that Pharisee religious bullcrap and just were really good at loving each other, I think Jesus could come back. Right? Yeah. Totally change the world. Totally, totally change the world. And so uh, Jesus is saying, when he's quoting Leviticus, love others by serving. He's saying love others. with Love others by being fair in your business dealings. Right? Love others by being honest. Love others by paying your bills on time. You know, that's one of the ways that we love others. Love others by not showing favoritism. Love others by not gossiping. Love others by not standing idly by when there's a dire need, right? Love others by not holding grudges, by not getting revenge. Love others. Oh, I need to get good at that, don't we? I feel convicted by that. I feel terribly convicted by that. I'm going to expose a little bit of my heart to you. I am one of the most judgmental people I know, and I'm really good at hiding it. <laughs> I'm really good at hiding it. But I am. <laughs> Bethany's going, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Okay? I'm terribly judgmental. I'm horrible with these things. And I need these reminders, too, and preaching to me today, right? You know, whenever you point your finger, you got three fingers pointing right back at you. And uh, so, I, I, man, I need God to help me with these things, right? But Matthew tells us in 20, chapter 25, verse 40, that. When we show love to others, we are showing love to Jesus. We are showing love to him. Wow, and that's what I want to do. I want my whole life to say I love you, Jesus. I want my whole life to say that. And uh, as, we, as we close today, I just want to reflect. Uh, just take a minute to reflect on how we're doing with the greatest commandment. Let's do greatest commandment pulse check, right, on our lives. How are we doing with that? Uh, Wendy, if you want to come back. Um, I just want to pray. I just want to pray. And uh, are we loving God with commitment? Are we obeying his words? Are we sharing it with the next generation? Are we doing that or, or are we just sort of in a routine? Are we just sort of in like kind of a Christian routine, sort of marching along? Um, yeah, read it. Read it. Yes. It's kind. It is not jealous. Yeah, absolutely. It is. We live out love. 
<laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So let's let that be the standard that we that we look at today when we're when we're going, how am I doing with loving? Am I loving God that way? Am I loving the church that way? Am I am I loving my brothers and sisters in Christ that way? Boy, that's so important. Am I loving my neighbor that way? My coworkers? Am I loving the middle management at my job? Everybody hates middle management, right? You know, am I loving? Am I loving? Am I loving? And uh, I don't know about you, I just feel the Holy Spirit here. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, this is the thing about writing my messages about a, roughly a month before I speak them, as I come back to read them and go, oh, that's so convicting. <laughs> you know? I, I need to be easier on myself when I write, write these things, you know. But um, why don't you just stand with me? I just, I just want that to be our prayer today, that, that God would help us to be better lovers, right? Loving him, loving others. Love rules, right? Every, everything else is just, it's just religion. And I want to be a good lover. Yeah. Whew. Let's close our eyes for a minute and we pray. If you need prayer today, go see the prayer team. Bethany will tell, you, tell it to you straight. She won't mix any words. She'll let you know if your judgmentalism is showing. And uh, she's back there. You can get prayer. Holy Spirit, we love you. And Holy Spirit, we want to love like 1 Corinthians 13 does. talks about. We want that to be our, our standard of love. Ah, yeah. We want that to be our standard of love. God, I pray that we would love you by living a life that is so radically committed to you, that obeys your word, that passes this love down to our children. Lord, we want to love others because they bear your image and it's, it's a worship to you and it's equally as important as loving you. God. Lord, I just, I want to repent of the times where I've been judgmental. God, I just want to repent of the times where I have not been loving, I have not been patient or kind. where I have kept records of wrong. God, I just I want to repent. God, of, of just falling horribly short of this often. Oh, Lord.
God, I just I repent of the times where I have set myself up as the standard rather than your word, rather than 1 Corinthians. God, I pray for your spirit of love to fall on us, to operate through us. Come, Lord, transform us. Help us to follow the greatest commandment. It's all about you, God. In Jesus' name.